All right. Good evening once again. And I guess my final thank you for the um, discussion and pushback sometimes and suggestions and all that that came along this week. I enjoyed it very much. Book of Acts, um, tonight we're going to look in, in this main outline at um, some events at the, toward the end of the Book of Acts. Actually, it's more the second half of the Book of Acts, more technically fulfilling the mission. Uh, basically, tonight is all of um, Paul's missionary journeys, plus a few extra tidbits at the end. I actually found the material for tonight the most interesting to myself personally of anything this week. First, though, in our uh, standard procedure this week, we'll look at what I call an alternate outline, a different way of looking at the book of Acts. Uh, this one comes from, I'm calling it Blue Letter, I, I forget if that was the exact website or what, but Blue Letter. Uh, the writer here started out with some alternate titles for the book of Acts. So in the standard King James version of the Bible, the book of Acts is typically called the Acts of the Apostles. Well, this writer suggested that calling it some of the acts of some of the apostles might actually be more appropriate uh, because it certainly wasn't all of the apostles. I don't know who set the titles of those biblical books, so, but I thought that was kind of interesting. But then this, this fellow was the one that uh, gave the suggestion that really, technically, properly, appropriately, it really should be called the acts of the Holy Spirit because there are various people, various humans in the book, and they were all prompted by the Holy Spirit. We keep pounding that fact over and over and over again, the acts of the Holy Spirit. He went on then and, and suggested some purposes. Now, this one's a little bit more gray and, and certainly up, more up for interpretation and, and individual minds processing it, because we don't really know who Theophilus was for sure, and therefore, because of that, it's kind of hard to figure out Luke's purpose. I mean, he does, he does talk about it in the first several chapters. The former treatise have I written um, so that you may know the certainty of the facts and that kind of thing. But beyond that, you know, who was who Theophilus and, and why did he need to know this? Was it just for interesting or that first evening we discussed maybe he was a lawyer or some people think that Theophilus is just the Christian church in general. So with, with that grayness or uncertainty of exactly who Theophilus was, um, the, the purpose of Luke writing the book of Acts, at least from what I've found, has, has not been clearly established. Now, these three possibilities here, these are all true as far as factually and historically. The book does record the establishment and early growth of the church. It does give many examples of conversions to the gospel, and it certainly talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but... Going beyond that, why was that being talked about? What was the end goal for the book? And, and that part is, is the part that's a bit of a mystery. Now, I thought of a few more potential or possible purposes um, that I just thought about. Uh, you know, I, I keep going back to Theophilus being a lawyer for Paul. If, if that was the case, then maybe that was the purpose of the book, to establish what Paul really was doing so that in his defense... Theophilus could say, this guy really is innocent. He's been traveling all over establishing churches because of the faith that he believes in, and he hasn't been doing anything wrong, even though the Jews say he has been. The other thing that I thought about, um, especially based on our discussion here last night um, about being excited about the gospel, I think maybe that's a, an area that all of us could probably improve in. So I, I could see that being a purpose of the book of Acts, simply encouraging Christians to be excited and to let other people know that we're excited. Because often I don't think maybe we do quite as good a job with that as we think we do, perhaps. 
Would any of you like to share your thoughts? What, are you thinking of something else that could possibly be the purpose of the book of Acts? Shout it out if you'd like to. John says our hearts. I think he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. The, this writer then further gave this simple outline, which I already touched on earlier, but this is what the first evening uh, I referred to as expanding circles of influence. They started in Jerusalem and then to the nation of Israel, more or less, and then to the end of the earth. That's a fairly common outline for the book of Acts. Um, more than one writer would give it this way. As a purely logical one, two, three step, it makes a lot of sense when you look at the book. All right, going on then to our main outline. So um, tonight we are looking at fulfilling the mission, and those five things are what I'd like to touch on. So Paul's missionary journeys, and uh, was his journey to Rome a missionary journey, perhaps? And then I'd like to look a little bit at beyond Acts. So last night, just as we closed, I told you, I asked the question, how many missionary journeys did Paul really take? And the common answer is certainly three. That's the common answer. Um, I found that it's not quite accurate because the book of Acts is not necessarily conclusive about the life of the Apostle Paul. He lived a good bit beyond when the book of Acts finishes. So just because the book of Acts ends does not mean that Paul is now dead and his story stops. So we're going to look at some of that. So what I have next is a map. Um, well, I really wish you could see this on a computer screen because it's a lot sharper. Uh, the colors here kind of blend, but uh, quickly, the first missionary journey is this. This is supposed to be an orange, uh, starting down here and kind of weaving around and then coming back. A relatively short journey. And then the second missionary journey is this line. It's supposed to be a purple, and that really loops around a lot more and rough roughly three times as far as far as mileage as far as distance and then the third missionary journey is this yellow it's supposed to be yellow anyway I don't know does it look yellow to you okay and then this long red line out through the Mediterranean Sea is his fourth journey up to Rome and I'm going to be making the point that I at least in, in my opinion that should really be considered a fourth missionary journey um, I guess more on that once we get there. Now, this area here is relatively small, but and that's something that we need to keep in mind as Americans here in 2017. You know, we're used to cars and trains and planes and buses and whatnot. Um, but uh, at the time here, walking and ships, slow ships, sailboat ships, those were the norm as far as getting anywhere. So. What took Paul a number of years, well, granted, he, he stopped at a lot of towns and cities and established churches and kind of, you know, stayed there for a while at a lot of these towns. But even just looking at his travel, what took him, uh, I don't know, six or eight months or a year, whatever it happened to be, would only take us a few days today. So I guess in our perspective, if, if we would think about our evangelists doing something similar today, uh, I, the best comparison that I can think of is sending the evangelists around the world all in one trip and maybe making two or three circles around the world. 
um, to compare with what Paul did back in his time. It was, it was pretty drastic. It was pretty novel. Uh, I was, was thinking outside the box for sure compared to what um, their frame of mind at that point. So Paul's first journey, you'll find that in Acts 13 and 14 in that area. It doesn't start exactly at chapter 13, verse 1, but in that area. And this was Paul and Barnabas. And I noticed right away uh, when I looked at chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. I noticed that they were in place obeying what they knew to do. And, and that little tidbit um, struck me that, that um, you know, it's, it, to a lot of us, depending on our personality, um, that's the, 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 the big things is, is what we like to do and see. In, in this case, a missionary journey, it has some glamour to it, often anyway. But uh, God calls us to be faithful in whichever place he has called us to at the moment. So maybe that's a much less glamorous thing, but still something that, that uh, builds up the kingdom of God. God calls us to be faithful. And there's a certain, uh, I don't know what the exact word is, but there's, certain, there's a certain negativity. Uh, Jesus even touched on this with the Pharisees. Remember when he said, I think maybe he was talking to his disciples, but he said, the Pharisees, they like to go to the upper chamber in the feast so that they can be seen of men. And he said, but you, you go to the lower chamber, and then if someone calls you up higher, that's all good. And I think maybe it's kind of the same thing for, for us as far as faithfulness, where if we, if we desire to be in the most public place and do the biggest glamorous things, there's probably some negativity if we want to go right there right away, uh, where, where God, God's plan for each of his people is to use their, them as an individual effectively, and he will call different people to different places, and we're called to be faithful in place, obeying what we know, obeying what God has revealed to us. And then if he calls us up to a different place, kind of like he called Philip to um, the Ethiopian eunuch, then we obey. So in, in this case, Paul and Barnabas were in place, obeying what they knew, and then they were called to the next level. Uh, th that's my wording, the next level, as in a, a bigger project yet, um, something that was much more public, uh, and we, today we call it Paul's first missionary journey. That's all I have on the first journey. Uh, any comments on that or questions? Paul's second journey then you will find in chapters 15 to 18 of Acts. Uh, this is the journey in which he meets Timothy. Uh, I found for myself when I looked at the book of Acts that I was familiar with all of the names and all of the places, but they kind of muddled together after a while if you don't read up on it. And so before I started looking at the book of Acts for this week, uh, I, I knew something about everything in the book of Acts. I mean, you know, we've had an excellent Christian upbringing and, and exposure to the Bible in our schools and our churches uh, but but I didn't quite know, I didn't know the details, and a lot of the events, I could never have put them on a timeline if I would have needed to. I would have failed that test pretty badly. So this is that kind of tidbit. I mean, could you have said that he met Timothy on his second missionary journey? I, I didn't know that before I looked at the Bible in preparation for this weekend. I knew that Paul met Timothy somewhere and that Timothy was one of his right-hand men, but I didn't know much more than that. Mars Hill also happened here. 
Why don't we turn um, to the Mars Hill account? You know, at the moment, I didn't take note of exactly which chapter that is, but let's look at Acts 17. I'm taking a bit of a guess there. I'd like to pick out some verses in Paul on Mars Hill. Which town did he meet Timothy? Uh, Acts 16.1 says, Paul came to Derby and Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy. So I think that's probably, unless, did you have a different thought on that? Yeah. Okay, thanks. 17.22 from Mars Hill. I'd like to look a little bit at Paul's verbiage at his wording there. Um, in verse 18, uh, that's, that's what I want to start looking at, uh, where they said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, and that's in the ESV, uh, which is probably a little different than the King James. But anyway, point being that he was, or, the, or they, were, they were thinking that he was bringing a strange divineness for them to consider. And uh, I, I guess you could say, well, he certainly was bringing a divineness, that's God. Uh, but they thought it was a strange divineness, and in their minds, it was probably just another of dozens of divinity types that they had talked about and, and debated over the years, because at Mars Hill, they like to do a lot of debate. And I'd like to throw that out, that um, sometimes I hear Christians say that, that Christianity, they, they refer to Christianity as another religion in the world. And I think that's probably uh, uh, at least partially incorrect, where Christianity is not just a religion like Islam or Buddhism, but it's a faith due to the work of a person or due to the work of God, Jesus Christ. And it's a faith. And the, the other thing that I hear sometimes, and I don't know if people are necessarily intentional with this or not, but when we refer to Christianity as, uh, as it's my religion or it's a religion and can be compared to Buddhism and, and all that. Um, there's, there's a certain sense, at least it seems to me, where, where we're giving up, when, when we call Christianity just a religion, that we give up some of the uniqueness of Christ's claim that he is the only way to Christ. So I, I don't know if I can prove that or not, but that's, it's always seemed to me that way. So just a little note here that, that um, in, in their minds, Paul was bringing just, probably just another divinity to talk about and to try to convince them that what they already thought was wrong. And I suspect, you, you know, if, if, if we think, if you think, if someone comes to you and you think that he's coming along, just bringing something that you've, you've been there, done that, he's just bringing another option for you. Our, our minds are such that we automatically put up a wall because we don't feel like just hearing about yet another one, at least often. But in this case, Paul went right to the crux of the matter, and, and he talked about how God created all the world, and he started painting the exceptionalism of God, which I thought, would think is very appropriate. God is exceptional. He is the Lord. Uh, later on this evening, here in a few minutes, we'll talk about the word sovereign Lord. Any comments on the, the second missionary journey? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Good. 
Thank you. And back to our map. Uh, second missionary journey, the cities of Derby and Philippi and Lystra and, and all those various things. That's up here in this area, what today is called Asia Minor. This is present-day Greece. This is present-day Turkey. All right. Very good. Thank you. Uh, going then to Paul's third journey and starting in roughly chapter 18 through roughly chapters 21. Now, keep in mind as we talk about three and, and the, the, the common thinking that there were three missionary journeys, we're only ending here at chapter 21, but Acts has 28 chapters. So there's a lot more action in the book of Acts beyond his third missionary journey, and that's what I want to touch on here after a bit. In his third missionary journey, that's when the books of First and Second Corinthians were written in 56 and 57. And I don't mean 1956, I mean 56, A.D. 56. Not 1957, but simply 57. Uh, late winter and late summer of those respective years. Hang on, I have Morris Hill here again. Okay, I got confused there somehow. Oh, that's because uh, that was probably a typo on the... On the slide. Okay, skip Mars Hill this time. This was the time that the princess, uh, yeah, princess, uh, the uh, goddess Diana riot took place, uh, where they said, "Great is Diana of the Ephesians," and went on for what was it hours saying, "Great is Diana of the Ephesians." You see the the clash here. See, there, there's 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 a, there's a trend happening through these missionary journeys where the the truth of the divinity of Jesus Christ is clashed with the the evil divinities. And Diana is yet one more example of that, where they, they the, the, well, this was spiritual warfare. I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. And the book of Acts doesn't say it that way, but it's pretty obvious. So where the, the devil pushed, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And Paul was there, and some of the time he hadn't even talked yet. They just saw him, and it, and it flipped their switch, and... They started getting mad and angry and rioting, and then he tried, in some of those occasions, he tried to give a defense. Very interesting. So uh, I, I, I see very clearly the, the, the work of the devil being pushed, but clearly the work of God uh, outweighing isn't the right word. Um, winning isn't quite the right word either, but the, the power of God superseding anything that the devil can throw. It was also in the third journey that Eutychus, the story of Eutychus happened, where Eutychus was the young man that fell asleep in the window and fell down, and then Paul raised him up. That was on the third journey. Comments or questions on the third journey? Moving on then to the fourth journey. Now, this is where uh, maybe we start getting into some, I don't know, personal opinions, I suppose. So, the first journey, the second journey, the third journey were all, or today, according to most biblical scholars, were all considered missionary journeys. And then the fourth journey was when he went to Rome after he appealed to Nero under the rule of Festus in Caesarea. That was right over the time, and, and I didn't put notes about this, but that was over the time when the Jews were lying in wait to kill him. And a bunch of the Jews or high priests or whoever it was had put themselves under a vow that they wouldn't eat until they had killed um, Paul. And then the, the uh, centurion got wind of that via Paul's nephew and sent him by night with a whole mess of horses. I forget how many hundred horsemen, maybe. Anyway, he went down then to, to Festus. And he was actually in prison for two years. That was another little tidbit 
that I, I completely glossed over most of the time until I looked at it more closely in preparation for this week. He was, he was there in Caesarea for two years in prison um, under Festus. And it says that Festus called, I think it was Festus, called for him some and hoped that Paul would give him money to release him. But Festus was torn between what he thought of Paul as being innocent versus what he knew what the Jews wanted. And Festus wasn't quite sure which one he was going to please. And so he, he was kind of indecisive, at least that's the way it looks to me. He wasn't quite sure which would be, I, I, I think pretty obviously that Festus wanted to do whatever's best for me. And he wasn't sure if that meant releasing Paul or if that meant pleasing the Jews. And he was hoping to get some money out of the deal. So Paul was there for two years. And I want you to think about that in relation to Paul appealing to Nero after King Agrippa came down and heard him as well. It was Agrippa, Agrippa and Festus together in the courtroom. And that's when Paul, or, or maybe I'm getting some of, those, some of that timing mixed up. But anyway, Paul appeared to Nero. And that was after he was in prison for two years or roughly two years. So we, we talked about Paul appealing to Nero, I think, last evening. And uh, it's, it's been often regarded that that was a mistake on Paul's part because it's very clear that, was it Festus or Agrippa? I forget which. One of them said, if this man had not appealed to Nero, he'd be set free. And so well, isn't that a mistake? Well, I don't know. I, I kind of think, and, and you're free to disagree, but I kind of think that Paul appealed to Nero on purpose because he knew it would be a free vehicle to get him to Rome. But I don't know that for sure at all. But, you know, Paul, Paul has such a history here of thinking outside the box and, and bringing in arguments from the Old Testament to bolster to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And I, I think he was maybe thinking beyond his current situation. So he's in prison um, you know, how much worse can it get? Maybe if I appeal to Nero, I'll still be in prison, but that gets me to Rome. And I think, too, and again, this is my personal opinion here, but I think, too, that in, in his appeal to Nero, I can kind of read between the lines there and see his faith in God. Where if he indeed was seeing an appeal to Nero as being a free ride to get up to Rome, I kind of suspect that he suspected that God would set him free at some point, get him out of prison. And if he got out of prison, maybe if he'd be acquitted in Rome, well, then he's in Rome and free. Now, I don't know that that was his train of thought, but I wonder. Now, I did notice his persistence. Two years in prison, and this was a Jewish prison, not an American prison with, you know, all the comforts that they have in modern American prisons. This was a Jewish or Roman prison, rather. So he was in prison two years, and yet he still wanted to go to Rome. And so that's just, uh, to me, just a, yet another example of Paul's view on the far goal. Where do I want to go? Uh, or another way of saying that is, whose am I? So it doesn't seem to me like he was really concerned with getting out of prison. He knew God's hand was in this, and he wanted to do God's work. Uh, that would actually maybe be an argument for saying that his appeal to Nero was a mistake. Maybe he was taking things into his own hands. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's various ways that we can look at that. But anyway, we know that he did appeal to Nero. Uh, I, I'm suggesting that we consider this journey to Rome as a fourth missionary journey. I'm pretty sure that's how Paul regarded it. Certainly once it was underway, once he was on the way, he treated it as a missionary journey in just about every aspect. I don't know if he tried to make it that way or not. Okay, so there's a map um, of the fourth journey. 
So it's, it's not a real great map as far as seeing the titles, but Caesarea is here, which is just north of Jerusalem, and then up and around Cyprus, and this journey is very well mapped out because of the detail um, that Luke put into the account. Uh, Malta, where they shipwrecked, is here. And so these squiggly lines here in the middle of the Mediterranean, I don't think those are known for a fact, because no one really knows which way the wind was blowing in the storm. But uh, they did shipwreck at Malta, and then from there on up to, eventually up to Rome here in Italy. Uh, this particular picture that I picked out does call it a fourth missionary journey. I don't know if you can see that or not, but that's what it says. So whoever created this map was of the opinion that we should call this a missionary journey. But I, I admire the man, Paul, for his persistence here. Two years in prison, and it, it wasn't like he had been free and preaching on the streets for six months, and then he got arrested, and the next day he appealed to Caesar, and the next day he was on the ship, and it was all you know, seemingly a, a forward motion. It wasn't like that. It was two years in prison, and yet he still appeared to Nero, and that, that makes me think that he wanted to use that as a missionary journey. Um, wrapping up here, I have basically two points yet. One is the fifth journey. Now, this is beyond Acts now. And then I'd like to look uh, at a couple of those individual reports that I've been talking about this week. So th- this is extra biblical in the sense that we are now beyond the book of Acts, more or less. But this is largely known from historical records. It's, it's pretty commonly accepted. Uh, I didn't find any writer that said, we know this to be the case as in there's hard evidence, but it's pretty commonly accepted, that he was acquitted before Nero in AD 63. And that is referred to in Philemon 22. Could someone care to look that up and read that? It's an interesting verse. It's actually Philemon verse 22 in this case. Uh, if, If you have it, somebody go ahead. Good, thank you. There are writers that um, say that, that the, the implication there is that he expected to be released or he knew that release was pending, and so he talked about having a place prepared for him. So anyway, it is commonly accepted that he was acquitted, and then it, uh, people do believe that he did indeed travel to Spain. Now, that's beyond Acts, but it's pretty accepted historical fact, and, and there's even some thinking that he may have gone up to Britain. Um, I only saw one writer that suggested that, and the writer said there's, there's circumstantial evidence but not hard evidence, but uh, that's pretty interesting. So here is, um, this is the, the map of what is believed to be his fifth missionary, or fifth journey. I don't know if you call it a missionary, Paul treated it as a missionary journey. Uh, here's Rome, he left Rome and went like this, kind of a reverse loop from his other journeys and it did more like this from the east. But from Rome and around, and then this little arrow here says to Spain, which would have been out further in the Mediterranean. And um, there's the map that would show that. So his first missionary journeys were all down here in this area, on the eastern Mediterranean Sea. And then he got up to Rome and Italy. And then his fifth journey, it's believed that he circled here a little bit and then came out to Spain, which really isn't that far. But, I mean, again, for them, it would have been a distance, but it's, it's all in the same area. Mediterranean Sea is actually fairly small relative to the other oceans. And then if he went to Britain or the area of Britain, that's up here, that would have been a leap as far as the journey. Uh, 
Um, and then after he came back from Spain, um, it, is, it is known historically that he was arrested yet again under Nero. And he wrote Second Timothy from prison after that, what would be called his final arrest, and then he was beheaded under Nero. About the year 68, he was about age 66. So this whole slide here is um, beyond the book of Acts, but is considered to be fairly accurate from historical records. It's called his fifth journey. All right, uh, that pretty much ends that. I have some more questions to go to look at quickly here in this last minute, but any comments on any of the missionary journeys? couple application questions to think about. Um, Mark 16, 15, that's what we call the Great Commission. There's a command, and it's for all Christians. And I, I think that, at least in, in my view, that's part of the purpose of the book of Acts, to, to push us toward obedience on the, the, the point of being missionaries. So a couple questions that I got from a writer that I was looking at. What work of a missionary have you done in your neighborhood? And there are several, a number of people that that their calling, such as a pastor or a missionary, they're already doing this type of specific missionary work that we talk about. So um, for those of us that are not a pastor or not a missionary, have we helped a pastor or missionary do his work for the Lord? So that was a challenge to me. Uh, real quickly, uh, the, the two individual reports that I had for tonight, one was a mention of the Godhead and, and what that person thought of God. And I picked out a couple in Acts 9.34. This is where Annius was, he was healed. And Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. So I, I looked at that quickly. Uh, so the, G uh, Peter was clearly not trying to take the credit for himself. The, the life was not about him. He was, the credit was going to Christ the healer. And I think I see in, in Peter's response that Jesus Christ heals you. It wasn't, I will touch you and then you'll be healed. And by the way, it's the power of Jesus Christ doing this. It wasn't like that. It was Jesus Christ heals you. And so I think Peter's perspective of who God is is that we are God's workers and our job is to transmit his truth. And then um, there was another, well, I need to quit. Times of physical signs was something else I looked at. God's mighty power on display some of those times. Okay, I am not going to push the time here. Any other quick questions or comments before we end? Well, thank you for joining me in a crash course on the Book of Acts, and you're dismissed. <laughs>